Welcome to the Tree of Prima podcast, a podcast about Freemasonry and the Western esoteric tradition. I'm Pat with uh, Jake and Jamie. Hey, Pat. Hey, Pat. Hey, I'm Jake Trayer. Uh, per usual, you know, the thoughts and opinions on, on this uh, podcast don't necessarily reflect those of, of the Grand Lodge of Arizona or uh, any other group that we m- may be a part of. It's been a while since we were able to get together and kind of do one of these podcasts. Um, you know, we kind of had one false start where we, got a, we kind of messed up the audio. Jamie and, messed up the first one. No, I'm talking about the first one. I we, we did we did a really great oh. one on astrology that just that Zoom kind of ate. But we'll get we'll do that one again. We promise. That it's was been just, months. Yeah. It's been months. We haven't been doing nothing though. There's some things happening in the background. We've been working on some other stuff. But any anyways, we're here. We're live. It's not Saturday night. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, guys? Jamie. Rosicrucianism. Yeah, Jake and I were on the phone earlier and thinking, okay, let's let's get back uh, to work with Tria Prima podcasts. And what do you want to do one on? So we kicked around a couple ideas. One of them was uh, Masonic conspiracy theories. We definitely got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Where we bring up, uh, you know, the whole Baphomet thing, maybe some Taxel stuff, maybe some, maybe some Moloch or uh, Bohemian Grove stuff. I definitely want to get into that. I'd have to do a little research, but uh, and, and I, I want us to do one some at some point about the the anti Masonic party. You know, because like that was like a political party at yeah. one point in America, which is like kind of crazy to think about. Right? Yeah, can you still register as that? I bet I could get that on my ID. <laughs> Did they have a license plate? Wow. Yeah. Um, when you said we were going to talk about the Rosicrucians, I was super excited because I, I've, I've read just like a tiny little bit about them in, uh, in Secret Teachings of All the Ages, but um, I don't know much more than what's in that book. And uh, I have a list of questions, and I, I was really excited that this is what we we're going to talk about today. Let's do it. Let's jump. Uh, let's jump into it. So you've, you've got, you've got a whole list. Let's I, I have work, a whole list. Top down. Um, I guess the first one is just kind of like, who are the Rosicrucians and, and kind of what's their origin story? Where, where do they come to us from? So um, a, a lot of this arguably uh, even more so than Freemasonry is, is debated on, you know, uh, the the I think the general consensus is that the origin of the Rosicrucian um, order, air quote order, or you know, um, ideas began with the uh, the three manuscripts that you might have read about um, in Manly P. Hall's book, but uh, definitely two that go together, and the third one is one of those things. It's debated whether they they're a trilogy or third one was inspired by the first two or how it really went but early 1600s and i think jamie said 14 16 14 15 and 17 uh and in order they were the the fama the confessio and the chemical wedding and uh, the fame of the order the confession of the order and then the uh, uh the chemical wedding of christian rosenkreutz um there they were anonymously published in in Tübingen or Tübingen, Germany, uh, again in the early 1600s, and they churned up a lot of uh, a lot of interest. Like a lot of a lot of indi- individuals found. Um, I think I think people were writing letters and trying to join. Tons of people were trying to figure out how to to get into the group. Uh, m- all of which, at least, or most of which, went kind of unanswered. Um, so that's why it kind of kept its mystique for a long time. Now the, the manuscripts themselves uh, would argue the origin because they speak of an earlier origin, you know, with, within their, uh, the fame or the fama and the confessio, they, they speak of an earlier 
right? They speak of Christian, our brother, uh, Christian, or CR, or RC, um, and the whole history there. So, so there's kind of the the history that's drawn out within those texts, and then there's the history that we know. Um, whether you know the history that's drawn out in the text is real or not is again one of those things that we could argue for days. You but know, that's Jake, generally the the origin. What you you explaining that made me think of uh, we some Stephanie and I sometimes watch the creepy pasta type YouTube stuff, and yeah. there's one I think it's Atrocity Guide is one of the channels that we watch but uh but there is um they sometimes talk about what is it arp is that a thing where it's like uh, or or there's definitely like not a larp but there's uh you know those role-playing like uh alternate Live. alternate reality um game I think is one. So the reason why I'm thinking about that stuff, um, RPGs or, or ARPs or whatever they call them is because sometimes they'll come up with this marketing hype. Like if they're coming out with a horror film, they will try, try to create this alternate history. Like they'll, they'll try and spin this story to where it, it gains, um, marketing hype, just like they did like with Blair Witch when they tried to say that, you know, they sure. tried to pass that kind. off, that it was all yeah. real, right? Kind of create a legend. So, to create a legend, exactly. And I think that's exactly what was going on with the Rosicrucians because there was no Rosicrucian order. You know, these people in the Tubingen circle, um, uh, Johannes, uh, Valentin, um, Valentin, Andrea, I think was his name. Well, so he and the other people in that circle of sort of academics, intellectuals, theologians, philosophers, alchemists, whatever they were, right? This this post uh, Protestant Reformation sort of milieu of intellectuals in Northern Europe. So they they. There was no Rosicrucian order, and I think we pretty much know that now. So what they did was erected this this false history, right? Mm -hmm. They had the central legend of Christian Rosenkreutz, who was the founder from, you know, I think he he was born maybe 1370-something, if I remember correctly, something like that. So they created this, this just fake lineage, and then they came out with these three well, really two manifestos and an allegory. So they, and they posted those, I think in Castle, Germany is where they first started posting them, but then they made it all other points, Europe, you know, like in Paris a couple of years later and um, other places, these, these, uh, these manifestos would be posted in public squares. But, but again, I think the important point is that they generated this hype you know, just like they do in this modern, in modern marketing for like games or alternate reality games or marketing hype for a horror film or something like that, like you see on the internet, it was exactly that same mechanism now that I think about it. And it just came to mind as Jake was talking about that, where it's like, it's pretty interesting because it did exactly that. It just exploded. It oh, yeah, it worked. It, 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 in fact, culminated in what they called, or what at least Yates called, the uh, Rosicrucian furor. For mm-hmm. Furor. The Rosicrucian furor was just like, and it's like what it sounds like, just this sort of uh, an explosive kind of uh, social, um, fiery social event that, that everybody seemed to get. You know, at least the intelligentsia. It It even caught people's eye, you know, in nobility, like all levels of, of, um, you know, uh, culture and like all, uh, what do you call it? Socio economic status or whatever you would call it back then. Like everyone. Yeah. Yeah. All across the board, people were interested. And like, even arguably some of the ideas influenced, um, certain uh, political choices that were going on, at least, uh, you know, uh, Yates 
Jamie mentions Yates really unpacks a lot of that. But okay, so that's does that kind of answer that? Well, that that kind of answers like kind of they paints the picture of where and when and mm. and but but it doesn't paint the picture of what is it they believed like what 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 mm-hmm. are these ideas that that the Rosicrucians have that that created this furor in um you yeah. know that this this fury of people who wanted to be part of it during that time they were vehemently anti-Catholic and that I think that's evident they were fiery. They yeah. were very, yeah. I, th- I think that's uh, evident in the literature. And they were, they they espoused a sort of uh, a kind of like scientism about their thing. I mean, there was, they were very much, they seemed to be at the fulcrum of like, uh, you know, medicine, the sciences. They, they, they called themselves physicians, right? That they were... Uh, to, to cure the sick and that gratis, that for free. Um, so they were, they were versed in, you know, the chemistry or the alchemy properly of that time. They were versed in the medicine. Uh, they were, as we said, they were academics and intellectuals and things, but they were also, so they were also, again, in the context of the time in this post-Reformation, you know, environment that a lot of you know a lot of the theology at that time had been scrubbed of some of the symbolism i guess you know to where it was like if you think about protestant churches today not to diss them or anything but it's certainly not as gaudy and 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 sort of symbolic and esoteric as uh Russian Orthodox or, or even Catholicism, you know, it's like a relatively just moralistic kind of clean, cleaned up streamlined version of theology without, without all the bells and whistles. So I, I think that they were trying, you know, my, I haven't really read this anywhere, but my kind of feeling is that they were trying to fortify or, or, or imbue deeper meaning in the religious experience, but from the perspective of, of, again, these academics. So that was, real quick though, to hearken back to one thing Jamie said, because I think this was really explicitly the, their, their main goal was to heal the sick. Like there, that, that was, uh, there was, there wasn't a lot of like dogma and, and a bunch of that stuff going on it was really that that's what they said they did they healed the sick um they blended in where they went i think that was another thing is that they wore they the made, clothes of the culture right they yeah. blended in wherever they were um and and to to cure this to cure the sick those were like two of the more explicit um if i was gonna you know spark notes i mean that there wasn't a whole lot in terms of i think what you're asking uh like explicit like bullet points of we believe this and this and this and this there wasn't a whole lot of that um there was a lot of like we said anti-catholicism and uh it was quite explicit in in that regard and even against other uh alchemists talked about watching out for you know fake alchemy and gold makers right so it was a lot of warning of fake this and and you know fake faith and fake alchemy posers really they were like (laughs) watch out for the posers um we're here um we remain in the shadows we blend in where we are and we're here to heal the sick it sounds like this was kind of right around the time of the enlightenment when when all of a sudden people were trying to open their, their minds from not just, not just knowing what the, the church was teaching, but trying to like start to try to understand science and medicine and, you know, the kind of liberal arts and sciences and, and, and talk about these things together and, you know, um, combine them together. You know, mm-hmm. Does that, that sound kind of what they were doing is, is you know, yeah. all these different pieces of knowledge that, that, people were finding at the time and 
yes, but I don't think you find the 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 sort of technical part of that. It's mm-hmm. so yes, that might have been the tenor of it, right? But they there's no there's no explicit technique. You know, they're not saying like, you know, now we're going to deal with um, you know, geometry or chemistry or you know, some sort of explicit art, you know, or science. Uh, I think it was just more like, um, you know, again, like Jake was saying, I don't think there was a a very clear cut, like agenda per se, or like a curriculum or like, these are the rules. I mean, other than those ones, you know, which you blend in where you live, you don't make yourself necessarily known. There's this idea of an invisible college, which came up later. And then, uh, and then the physician thing and even that physician thing nobody talks about here's how you dress a wound you know so again again no technique and really not even much theory so it, it just seemed like um there was a lot of uh it was the whole situation seemed to be kind of allegorized, you know, and when they lay out this history of their founder, it's obvious that it, you know, follows these certain points about the collection of knowledge at various points along North Africa and the Mediterranean and the Levant, you know, he goes around and collects the, and there's this whole like hiero history, I guess you could say a holy history or, a, or just like a symbolic history of this, the wanderings of uh, Christian Rosenkreutz. And then he comes back and forms this order and then they go defunct and he's dead for 120 years, I think. And then they find the tomb and he's in this weird vault. It's a really cool story. Um, so, but but in terms of the actual like there was no like programmatic kind of stance that was super spelled out or very clear. Yeah. So were they? Would you say that they influenced Freemasonry, or that that they were influenced by Freemasonry, or is is there kind of an intersection there at all? Well, so. Uh... What's the earliest uh, manuscript that we know of Masonic? The Edinburgh House, right? what isn't that sixteen something? The Regis Re- poems, like thirteen something. Oh, 13, really? Thirteen ninety or the Hallowell, maybe. Okay, well, it, it, I guess um, I I I couldn't speak with confidence in either either way because people will will argue with us you know if we say one thing or the other I think it could could be both ways you know it could it could be both and it seems like it's and again this is like just trying to piece it together and there's a lot of conjecture and stuff but it but it seems like yes there was operative and speculative masonry happening but that was kind of off to the side you don't see a lot of explicit masonic references in the in the fama the confessio or the chemical wedding i mean i don't think you see any actually there's nothing explicitly tying uh rosicrucianism to um masonry other than the most general things like okay these guys are are alchemists they're operative and speculative alchemists obviously because they're doing operative lab work but they they obviously have the corresponding um kind of uh, speculative side to that as well so in that sense rosicrucianism mirrors the the operative speculative dynamic in freemasonry but i would say that um we do know that elias ashmole uh was if he wasn't an alchemist himself he was a collector of alchemical codices and he was also an astrologer and uh thomas de quincey said Thomas de Quincey said, and I think I know the quote, he called him a zealous Rosicrucian. Whether that's true or not, Thomas de Quincey called Elias Ashmole a zealous Rosicrucian. And the reason why I bring up Ashmole, Pat, is in case you don't know, he's widely touted as one of the early speculative masons on record so he was made in i think 1649 at at warburton 
England, I don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Warburton, England, 1649, a very early uh, speculative, along with like Robert Moray and people like that, a very early speculative Mason in an accepted a lodge of accepted masons, so not mm-hmm. operative stonemasons. So he was had been called a Rosicrucian by De Quincey. So you could say that early speculative masonry uh, had Rosicrucians and astrologers and probably Kabbalists among their ranks. Yeah, and then there's there's the obvious, um, you know, extra Masonic or uh, appendant bodies that kind of refer back to within the Scottish Rite. There's some obvious Rosicrucian themes going on, and um, that there are even we'll probably get into this, but there are even you know appendant bodies. Uh, well, kind of. There are there are groups that require Rosa quote Rosicrucian groups that require you know Masonic uh, membership or require you to be a Master Mason. Um, so in in today's day and age, yeah, there's there's certainly Rosicrucian influence on the Masonic superstructure at least within a a few of its appended bodies, and you know you could argue one way or the other in the, in the first three degrees, you know, I'm sure you could pick some stuff out and no, nothing explicit though. Um, and I don't think anything explicit ever, um, within any of the, um, you know, back into the rituals history. I don't think you can make a strong argument that there were ever, you know, explicit, uh, Rosicrucian themes in the, Masonic ritual, even back to when it was just the first two degrees. So in, in, in masonry, we have our symbols, you know, mm-hmm. and you drive, when you're driving into a new town, you pass some of those symbols, you know, on, on the, the, on the sign leading in there where they have all the different organizations. Yep. Um, you know, uh, did, did the, did the Rosicrucians have symbols? I mean, are, are, are there, are there symbols associated with them that, um, yeah, I mean, as, I I think um, the the vault uh, ten, tends to be at least within modern Rosicrucian groups. Uh, a lot of the stuff that was spelled out in in the Fama and, and the Confessio, I guess the more so the Fama uh, would be like solely Rosicrucian, especially the vault, the heptagonal vault and that sort of thing. But I mean, alchemical and this like these monus hieroglyphica is said to have had a lot of influence because that was late 16th century, you know, just preceded this Rosicrucian spark in the early 1600s. So there's there's a good argument that you know Dies Monas hieroglyphica and and that, and that sort of thing had an influence on uh, whatever his name is Valentino or what you know this the supposed author of of or at least one of the authors of at least one or a few of these texts so a lot of alchemical sim- symbolism is conflated with Rosicrucian. Um, Rosicrucian symbolism, I guess. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah. So, Pat, if you're saying when you drive into a new town, new town, and you see the plaque for the Masons, and it has the square and compasses on it, and you see the rotary, and it has that gear or that wheel for the rotary, right. etc. So, for the Rosicrucians, obviously, it's the Rose and Cross is the right. symbol. Well, yeah. So, uh, so, and that meaning something like, I mean, you could unpack that a lot of different ways but uh, but the cross of matter maybe with the with the rose of the spirit or the soul affixed mm-hmm. to it and there being this uh sort of um dualistic kind of thing happening there where it's like spirit and matter and how spirit and matter are are 
combined in the human experience maybe you know and there is a lot of like um you know like jake was saying there's there were a lot of tributaries to that and i think one of the main ones one of the big ones that just preceded that by uh maybe a not not 200 years was the uh the florentine neoplatonists so the florentine academy of Neoplatonists. So they came into possession of all these Hermetic uh, and Neoplatonic documents and, you know, Orphic documents about theurgy and about um, astrology and about alchemy and things. And, and these ideas were kind of on deck in, at least in sort of Southern or Central Europe. And then they just gradually bled out. Oh, and Paracelsus, he was a huge influence on. Didn't um, they even reference him? They do. They reference his. his um, they say he's not a Rosicrucian. He's not one of us, but but his ideas are are good kind of. Yeah, exactly. So so there would be no Paracelsus without the work of the Florentine Neoplatonists, I think. Right. Because it's sort of through them that you get the the translations of the Corpus Hermeticum and a lot of other stuff. And 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 probably some of the uh, well, I'm not sure where they would have got things like the Picatrix. And but when you get people like Agrippa and you get um, Paracelsus and probably Kircher and John D and these people in Europe who are who are working on various uh tributaries that would lead into the rosicrucian current you know i think that says a lot you know and um especially paracelsus because he was uh mainly a physician right so they probably they probably called him out specifically because of that that connection among other things yeah and uh, andrea's um andrea's dad like we were saying, I'm not sure if that was, we talked about that before or during this call, but uh, on Andrea's dad was an operative alchemist. So he grew up in that sort of environment near, you know, basically in an operative lab. So mm. he would have been exposed to uh, um, Paracelsus's work, I'm sure, yeah. which was largely spagyric plant or vegetable kingdom alchemy, you know, and, and because they were doing vegetable kingdom alchemy, uh, they were probably dealing in a lot of tinctures like a physician would. A physician would do planetary tinctures and, you know, various parts of the herb that work on the zodiacally corresponding or melothesiac parts of the body that correspond to certain zodiacal signs or certain planets and and making tinctures to you know that was not like considered absurd at that time that was medicine that was like in squarely in the aristotelian galenic physiology of you know popular medicine at that time it would turn in another hundred years or so but uh not by then, not by the Rosicrucian furor. They would have still, that would have still been on deck as the way that you treat something by humoral. Um, do you know about the humors, Pat? Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Explain that a little bit for, for people who don't. So humoral theory involves like, um, like phlegm, black bile, yellow bile, uh, and blood would be these i think those are the four of them and there's different temperaments that correspond to these so there's these again sort of galenic or or before that even aristotelian kind of temperaments and uh you were treated by these in a very almost astrological way tinctures were made that would treat these certain um ailments depending on, you know, the draw of a chart. Physicians would, in fact, they just recently found, did you see that report within the last like couple of years? They recently found uh, a bunch of physicians' notes from England um, from probably around this time of the furor. Uh, and, and they were 
most of them had a horoscope drawn up for each of them. So they, so they knew their baseline to start their, their treatments, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So. Um, I, I was just looking up like, while you were, you were talking about that. I was, I was looking up what the, the humors are and um, yeah, blood, yellow bile, black bile and phlegm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, so it's is, sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and uh, what's the other one? So you would express certain. It would be expressed in certain ways. So if you were, if you were sanguine, you had some sort of. Uh, I think that was yellow bile. Um, black bile was melancholic. Yellow bile was choleric. If I'm not mistaken, I forget, but sanguine sanguine would have been blood, right? It sounds like it would have been, but I think sanguine was like sanguine, doesn't that mean like happy? You're a joyous, happy person. Uh, enthusiastic, active, and social. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Huh, yeah, I guess I guess sanguine would be blood. Anyway, we've digressed into yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> humoral theory, which easy. is easy to do that with this stuff. <laughs> so, so what 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 groups? What other groups might have the Rosicrucians influenced? Did they have any influence on like the Golden Dawn or uh, any of those folks? Yeah, I think Jamie can speak with more authority. On, on this sort of thing as well, probably well, on all this stuff, but, but yeah, uh, certainly the, I mean, you talk about the golden Dawn, certainly a lot of the, the golden Dawn and its splinter organizations, you know, refer to themselves as Rosicrucian orders. So, uh, you know, although they carry a different name, you know, uh, or title title, uh, like the golden Dawn or the, builders of the Aditum or what, you know, whatever, uh, most, most of them call themselves Rosicrucian orders and most of them follow the Rosicrucian sort of grade structure as well. So wait, wait, um, wait, Jake. So let me ask before you move away from that so quick, um, didn't Paul Foster case kick out all the Rosicrucianism from Builders of the Adam because he was an Alpha Ed Omega member in Chicago. He kicked out at least all of the Egyptianisms and the Enochianisms. But I but I thought the Rosicrucian stuff was out too. I thought no. he I thought basically Boda was or Builders of the Adam was just outer order GD. So just the sort of learning grades, and then after that, no Rosicrucianism, no Egyptianisms, and no Enochian. Well, maybe someone else can comment. Not that I know of. All I know of is that he he dumped the Egyptian stuff and he dumped the uh, the Enochian stuff. That stuff scared him. So, so is there a degree structure kind of like masonry, and and do they have like an initiatic system? Oh, well, so yeah, that's Samuel Richter or or Herman Fichtuld. Herman Fichtuld and Samuel Richter. Uh, I forget which one came first, but I want to say it was 17. It was really, really early. It was like 1730 or something like that, or 1760, one of the two. Samuel Richter or Herman Fichtuld um, started a, they were Freemasons, and one of them started the, uh, the Gold und Rosenkreuzer. The Orden des Gold und Rosenkreuzer was the name of it. So this is very early. This is 18th century, probably middle of the 18th century um, in Germany, which is the epicenter of early Rosicrucianism. And there is a Masonic group documented at that time who started this um, specifically Masonic Rosicrucian order, the Gold und Rosenkreuzer. And what's interesting about that is their grade structure, and this is the first appearance of this on record, their grade structure was um, Sephirothic. So it was this Kabbalistic grade structure, meaning that the the sephiroth of the kabbalistic tree of life represented a grade so that was the first so 
when you talk about the not equals not or the five equals six or whatever these grades that we know of in the GD system, or even the grades that we know of in the Masonic Rosicrucian uh, yeah. structure, the Zealoter, the Neophyte, the Theoricus, Philosophus, etc. These grades all come from, so the GD and the SRIA or SRIS or Societas Rosicruciana grades come from this German order called the Orden des Gold und Rosenkreuzer. And it's first appearance of that, which is significant because everybody uses that grade structure. Yeah. Now. Even today. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's basically been, there are slight variations. So, you know, you'll see some groups that don't have the not equals not or the zero equals zero. Some start out just with one ten. Some don't have a ten one. Some do. Um, so there are, there are variations between organizations on all, but again, all, like Jamie said, are, Kabbalistic grade structure in and that's what I meant when I say Rosicrucian grades you know grade structuring is truly a Kabbalistic grade structure because again it follows the Etzkaim up the tree you're working your way back up the tree Um, and and some groups more than others put an emphasis even on the pathways and working the paths path working right so um, it does, it does change, uh, from group to group, but as far as I know, I mean, uh, Crowley's stuff, the OTO and there's uh, the, the, uh, the kind of outlier, I guess, that I could think of that is still heavily influenced by, and as far as I know, and I don't know a lot would be Martinism because I know they, they kind of ditched the, uh, the tree of life kind of uh, glyph and that whole system and, and opted there's a uh, Jamie, do you know much about Martinism? Cause I, I think I actually don't cause they, they adopted another um, gl- glyph of sorts that they kind of follow, but I know there's still heavy Rosicrucian influence and even Kabbalistic influence, they just framed it differently and they structured their, you know why I think that might be Jake is because, um, Martinism appeared, you know, Villermos and San Martin, San Martin. Yeah. So, so I think that, um, I think that they inherited more of a German theosophy. And when I say German theosophy, I, I mean more like uh, Jakob Bema. So like, or, or Jacob Bohm, Bohm hmm. Jakob Bema, where they sort of didn't get the Rosicrucian current per se. They got more of this, uh, a German mystical theosophical Christianity. You know, yeah. where, where in, I, I do know that in Martinism, they deal heavily in the pentagrammaton. So instead of the tetragrammaton that we think of Kabbalistically, um, they used. Yeah, lo- um, that's for sure. Yeah, they used, uh, and I'm not sure if that was Bema's original construction. Pat, do you know what that is? No, what is that? I know what the tetragrammaton is, but I, so the the pentagrammaton is is the tetragrammaton with sheen dropped right in the middle, right? So the Hebrew letter sheen, so yod hey sheen vav hey, or Yeheshua. So that's what Jamie is referring to when he's talking about the pentagrammaton, which which is more Christian in nature, especially within Martinism because it's, it's the spirit, uh, kind of dropped in there. Um, it's more, it's more elusive to the Trinity and sort of Christian, uh, specific ideas, but it's, it's even in, uh, other stuff. I mean, the pentagrammaton is referred to in other, you know, stuff that we've talked about, just not as much. So but you, I guess that that last question, I, I hope we answered to some extent. I mean, m- a lot, tons of of modern and and through the past couple hundred years, 
esoteric or Western mystical organizations were influenced not only by uh, that Rosicrucian furor, but that Kabbalistic grade scheme. Um, and you'll see that all over the place. So you've mentioned a group a couple of times. I was hoping you all would talk about, um, and I, I think I, I, I've, I've seen that I've read that a, a, a guy that we've talked about a couple of times in our podcasts, Edward Arthur Waite was a member of it. Um, the Societas de Rosicruciana. Is that right? Yeah. So, so you can be really douchey and say, so Rosicruciana and do the hard C's. Like, wow. Which is, which is accurate. Which is, which is accurate. <laughs> I like it, but I never say it like that because I don't want to like, just i don't know i just feel self-conscious saying that so basically i think everybody just airs on the side of saying societas rosicruciana okay societas rosicruciana we're yeah. gonna get a text from a certain brother yeah so uh but so that is, so that is um that is the masonic Rosicrucians. So you you get that. I think first appearance of that is the in Scotia. So 1860, I want to say, could be a little bit earlier than that, but 18, the middle of the 19th century, you get Mas proper Masonic Rosicrucianism that is different from the Ordentus uh, Rosenkreutzer that we mm -hmm. talked about from the preceding century although it uses that grade structure it recycles that grade structure so first appearance in scotland i think wentworth little maybe or wentworth little was the sria so that's in anglia so here's here's a, a bit of a strange thing i think wentworth little went over to scotia Scotland and took the grades there. And then he went back to England and he formed the SRIA, the Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia. And then he turned around in true uh, British style and then they made Scotland regular. So isn't that strange how that worked? <laughs> so uh, um, I'm pretty sure that's the story. So they were like, okay, then you guys are regular, despite the fact that they made him. You know, but um, so then from from SRIA, you get like in America, we have the Societas Rosicristiana in Civitatibus Federatus or Civitatibus Federatus, if you do the hard C. And um, so so that's an order that's still, you know, that's extant. That's that's been going, you know, straight through. Societas Rosicruciana in in one jurisdiction or another has been going since the middle of the 19th century um, steadily and I think growing you know that's something where if you go to Kentucky like there are high council meetings in Kentucky once a year um, and they're just packed with people they pack this massive hotel the Brown Hotel uh, packed with Rosicrucians and in their dining hall there, it's it's amazing. I mean, and everybody you talk to, like, you know how you go to a regular Masonic thing and you're like, yeah, Kabbalah this or alchemy that or whatever. And everybody's like, yeah, whatever, you know, like it's just kind of most of the time they'll just shrug it off just because it's not everybody's area of interest. I understand that. But if if you you can go to this thing in uh in kentucky the high council of the sricf and everybody you talk to is conversant at least in, to some extent in alchemy or astrology or theurgy or you know all of these or kabbalah or hermeticism you know they just they're interested in that stuff so it's like an affinity group oh and this should be mentioned as well um yes you must be a master mason to be invited to the uh societas rosicruciana but the societas rosicruciana is not properly a masonic organization it is not under the jurisdiction of any particular grand lodge and it's a completely separate 
uh, order, right? So, but they just happen to, you know, um, be peopled by master masons exclusively. So it's pretty interesting how that works. So, so was Arthur um, Edward Arthur Waite a member? As far as I know, I know he was GD, and I'm not. Sh- did he do SRIA? I don't. Yeah, I probably. I think did. he did. I think he did. So yeah, and they. So each. Um, I don't know how. It's probably similar. Uh, maybe Jamie, you know, but. You know, here in the States, each state has a, a college, and I'm sure it's maybe a, a few colleges per country in Europe, or maybe even just one or so. I don't know quite how it is over there. I would imagine, though, it's similar to I think Freemasonry, a, though. I think they have Metro College in London. I, I'm pretty sure they've got a college in, like, Bristol, which is so I got a few country. per countries. But, yeah, typically one per I think there might be a few states that have two, right? Does New York have two? Yeah, I think New York and Texas, maybe and California, probably. California, yeah. So, so I, I bring that I, I bring up Edward Arthur Way because you know he's the guy that that created um, the the tarot deck that is probably one of the most popular tarot decks in the in the world. And I was wondering what 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 influence his kind of involvement in that might have had on that tarot deck are there, are there symbols within the 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 writer weight smith um deck that have kind of a rose crucian theme or influence so this is so, jamie's area well i mean i i'm not a i mean i like that deck and i came up on that deck but it's not my go-to anyway but but he uh he was he joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn before he was a Mason and before he was a Rosicrucian. That I know. Okay. So he was like, I don't know what he was into before he joined the GD, but I think uh, I think maybe Mathers or maybe even Westcott, somebody was uh, advocating for him and he like was going to be a member or, or he might have done like a not equals not grade or the neophyte grade and then he went his own way for a while and then he came back I think is the story uh, but anyway so it took a while for him to uh, be a to become a mason and b if he did join the SRIA and I think he probably did um that was after his exposure to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And the other thing is this, which I think would have disqualified him from SRIA, which is why I question whether he was a member or not, um, is that he had his own Rosicrucian order after the, the schism, after the schism, the Golden Dawn schism, where the Golden Dawn splintered off into like Stellar, Stella Matutina, Alpha Ed Omega, couple other things um he arthur edward way had a uh frc i think it's fratres rosy fratres of the rosy cross or something like that frc and um or or and i think he was initially calling it the rectified right or something but um so yeah, I do know that he kind of stumbled around through that stuff. You know, he's really I don't want to you know, diss him too much. He's he's very difficult to read, very circuitous. You ever read any of his stuff, Pat? I don't think so. Yeah, it's like a mess. It's like you can read a page and then you're like, "Well, I got to read that again" because it's like none of it will stick. I mean, it's so like Oh, and you know what's even worse than that? I am going to diss him. I don't care. Um, so, I mean, what's he going to beat, beat me up? He's he, he's dead. He's, so, a, he's well over 100 years old, at least. He, he won't be sending you any nasty emails. So yeah, he's like ahead. super old. And if he would, if he did send me a nasty email, I wouldn't understand. No, I'm not going to diss him. <laughs> I, I'm not going to diss him, you know, but I but – I, 
it's okay to have a critique, a good natured critique. And my good natured critique is that, um, is that the, one of the things that was super annoying about him is he was the, he was the primary like translator and commentator on the works of Eliphas Levy and, and like key to the mysteries, uh, dogma and ritual of high magic or transcendental magic as it's sometimes known. And, and whatever the other one was, the history of magic, Levy's history of magic, um, is also annotated and translated by weight. And here's why I feel okay kind of dissing weight a little bit is because he took Eliphas Levy's work and just like every other footnote is him proving how he's smarter than Eliphas Levy. You know, every other footnote, he's like saying, well, this is wrong and here's why. And he's just got such a tone about him, such a slappable tone. About his commentary, it's you see that right, Jake? You ever notice that stuff in his footnotes? No, well, I don't, maybe I don't, I don't think like you do. I don't know. I don't frame. I when I read old stuff like that, I don't like think in those terms. Like I don't like slapability doesn't. <laughs> I don't. I think we're getting off track, though. I think the the question was whether he impregnated the writer weight tarot deck with Rosicrucian symbolism, and I guess you could say yes and no. I'm. I mean, uh, maybe explicit. <laughs> yeah, explicitly, explicitly uh, off the top of my head. No, like not not in any blatant way, like how other tarot decks do, you know, that have come out of the GD lineage and, and that sort of thing. But, um, uh, but again, I think you could, you could pull some out. You could pull some out of the deck, I'm sure. Uh, and maybe it, maybe there was intent, but to my knowledge, there's no, no, uh, writings of his that Jamie hates or does not hate that, that speak to that. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily uh, in the little booklet that you even get with, you know, the common Rider weight decks uh, that it would refer back to any Rosicrucian stuff in the, the explanation little card explanations or anything like that. Um, so to my, to my knowledge, uh, no, not explicitly, but again, um, the more conversant you become with a deck, uh, or specifically the Rider weight deck, I'm sure you could draw some, some, or pull some Rosa, Rosicrucian, uh, theme symbol, what you know, that sort of thing. It just, it would take some work, you know? So is, is there anything else we need to talk about with the, about the Rosicrucians? Is there anything, uh. Any, any questions I might have glossed over that y'all you, you think are important? Well, there's just, I think, uh, you know, when people ask me about it, they, a lot of the questions that I get are like, what's legit, you know? Like that seems to be the big, because there's so many splinter organizations nowadays. And uh, I've got, at least, you know, in my experience, because, uh, uh, you know, we're not supposed to call each other out, but I'm a member of the SRICF, the college here in Arizona. And, uh, and some other organizations that again, call themselves Rosicrucian. So what, you what, know, what what's but, the, what's the full name of that rather than the acronym? Uh, Societis Rosicruciana and Civitatibus Federatus. Yeah. So I, but there are all sorts, there's tons, right? There's Amwork, which is big. And you got a lot of people that subscribe to their stuff. And, um, a lot of people that, that don't or do like them. You've, you've got the three, the big three, uh, SRs, the SRIA, the SRICF and the SRIS, is it? Um, you've got all the golden Dawn lineage and splinters and all that sort of thing. And all, there's a lot of claims to Rosicrucianism, I guess is what I'm getting at. Hmm. And I think, um, again, the question I get a lot is what's legit. And that's kind of hard to answer. Like I didn't, 
bring that up to answer it, you know, for everyone and just say, this is what's legit. Cause I, I don't like believe that. Um, but to anyone who might now be questioning like, well, where can I start? Where can I do this? Well, hopefully this podcast was a start, but I would, I would check out, you know, depending on, um, where you're at in your life, um, meaning like, or are you a Mason? Are you not a Mason? You know, there are groups that are co-ed. There are groups that are not co-ed. Um, just poke around, see if there are some things that spark your interest in, in terms of uh, maybe specific symbolism that's used or specific, uh, you know, calls to action, uh, even, you know, on some websites, poke around. I, I love the, uh, my experience in the, in the college here in Arizona. Um, but again, that's an invitational body. It's not the easiest to, to work your way in. It's the, the colleges are limited to, in membership. Um, I mean, Jamie, what do you think? I think that's an important thing to bring up is that you can't ask to be a member right. of, uh, of Societas Rosicruciana. That's an invitational body, you know, and it's almost unattractive to ask. Right. So, uh, I mean, you, but it's what, not, it's not unattractive to us for someone to show interest in the, in certain ideas that are Western, uh, esoteric and then, kind of. and that's what i was going to say is if you're if say you're interested in societas rosicruciana membership my advice would be to uh to try and be visible in terms of your research maybe try and publish a paper on hermeticism or on kabbalah which are both squarely within the purview of it says in the aims and, and i believe in the ordinances um the doctrines of hermes trismegistus aka hermeticism and the um the uh, i forget how they were the kabbalistic part of it but something exactly that says kabbalah right so um, if you're if you're working within the domains of Hermeticism and Kabbalah, and you're a Freemason, a Master Mason, and you're doing something visible, or you're showing interest or aptitude in in either of those studies, then you may get an invite to a college if if one of the fratres of the college becomes aware of your interest and aptitude but amwork for example they're just you know clamoring for members so you could readily join if you wanted to do amwork you can sign up for their you can go online right now and sign up for their correspondence course courses and then boom you pay whatever it is 30 50 100 bucks whatever it is mm -hmm. and you're a member you can walk around just saying yeah I'm a Rosicrucian. I'm a member of Amwork. I do their correspondence courses, and I've never seen another Rosicrucian live in front of my face my whole life. Yeah. But th there are all sorts that are still around today. There's the BOTA still, I know, exists in a lot of states, and is, is their correspondence work is still around. Sure. I know that there are, are Golden Dawn organizations that still are alive today that, that practice good golden dawn work um those those you'll have to poke around some more because it's those seem more uh kind of sparse throughout throughout the world but you know uh, i know for a fact that here in arizona i know in texas i know in new york and california new zealand throughout europe there are all sorts of lineages that still exist and um the more you read and the more you poke around online and again, uh, the whole co-ed, you know, if you're a female and you're interested in some of this stuff, you know, the SRIA and it's a couple other groups are not going to be an option for you. But there are other groups that do good stuff, good work, good, you know, square uh, Rosicrucian themed grade work or, you know, Kabbalistic, you know, Sephirotic grade work, but is Rosicrucian in nature. So there's something for everyone. And that's just a question I've gotten a lot. So I thought it would be relevant to throw out there. I don't think I'm, I won't speak to the superiority of one over another or this or that. I think that's up to everyone to determine because ultimately it's what you get out. I know plenty of people who have joined those organizations and, and haven't gotten shit out of them. Right. And left after a not equals not or whatever. And, 
or during a not equals not during a degree and freaked out and let, so it's really up to the individual. So uh, other than that, I don't know that I have much more to touch on. I think this is a good cursory kind of episode on, on uh, what we intended to talk about. Great job. What do you think, Jamie? I think that, yeah, I think that that should answer a lot of questions and, uh, and hopefully, um, hopefully inspire more questions, you know, and one last thing that I think would make it kind of clear, at least from the perspective of, of, uh, Societas Rosicruciana is again saying, what is it that we do? And that is, um, it says in the aims um, that we, uh, I wish I could remember this. You know, the part where it says like to, to research and study the ancient art, science, wisdom, philosophy, and religions of the world um, to uh, explore the doctrines of Hermes Trismegistus and to um, study the Kabbalah, you know? I mean, these things are like, that. that isn't verbatim. That's like a bad paraphrase, but those things are said in there in some order. And they're, they're, they're part of the aims and ordinances. So that, tell, that should tell you more than anything what, what at least Masonic Rosicrucianism is about which for my money and this is my personal opinion that is the only rosicrucian order i mean other than i mean that is the only uh, it's like my favorite rosicrucian order <laughs> let's just say that <laughs> mine too <laughs> pat what what else you got any well, other uh, questions yeah, well, on the list so so just in um in our show notes, what, what do you think we'll be able to provide people? I mean, will we be able to link off to the the three main Rosicrucian texts? Is that yeah, we can certainly, available? we'll certainly throw some links to, to certainly the source work, you know, those three manuscripts that we talked about, we can link in there and uh, Jamie and I can hash out what are the good translations of that real quick. But, you know, something that, that J- Jamie and I do a part of the, the, a college is um, we have, there's like a little book club thing. And we, the, a, a lot of the source work for, you know, hermeticism, neoplatonic stuff, Rosicrucian stuff is what we like to, to work through. So maybe we'll throw some of that stuff in there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we could come up with at least 10 good uh, books and maybe even a few links to websites that would be good uh, jumping off points for interested parties. I think that would be really helpful. So uh, yeah, click on through to the website to uh, triaprima.co and uh, you'll go to the podcast section and in the show notes, there'll be plenty of, of links that can let you dive deeper into your research into Rosicrucianism. Could we yeah. not afford the last M on our, on our, uh, we could, website not yet. Address? I, somebody's <laughs> got it. Somebody's got it. And it's not us. Somebody has the M. We don't have the M. Somebody, somebody give us a generous donation so we can buy out the, the M. Whoever's got our M. I feel like we're on wheel of fortune. We want to buy an M. Triaprima.co. <laughs> Europeema.co. We're right. co for now. Well, for we now. got um, more stuff we're working on. I'm glad we're back. Hopefully, we'll keep doing this more frequently. Sorry to those of I have had a lot of people reach out and say, when the heck are you guys going to do another thing? Which has always felt nice. I felt bad because we, ha- we haven't done much in the past few months in terms of the podcast, at least. But uh, a lot of people asking. So hopefully we'll get this up as soon as we can and we'll hopefully get more. We've got other cool ideas for podcasts. Yeah. Right. And, and one thing I think is important to say is that's that we're doing a conversational tone about this stuff. Obviously we're just talking about things that we're interested in and um, we're, tr- you know, again, like Pat plays this sort of um, the, the, 
frame of reference for the listener, you know, who might be wanting to learn about this stuff, asking the pertinent questions and trying to, uh, you know, and then Jake and I just talking about what we know about these things and, and trying to be trying to maintain some epistemic humility about this stuff and to just conversationally talk about it without it being contrived and without it being a presentation you can go on zoom and see five presentations that are these prepared uh things every night but i think the value is in us just chopping it up you know like you would if if the three of us were at a pub or something. Yeah, we don't rehearse this. We just yeah. come up with a topic day of usually and and uh, hit record and we go for it. We we clearly do not uh, rehearse this. <laughs> yeah, we, clearly. <laughs> cool. Um, All right. Hey, shout out to uh, um, Adam Goldman. He's got a, a a new article on Trio Prima worth worth reading for sure. And uh, um, also, you know, want to mention that Jamie's got a new book out. Um, it's new since the last time we had a podcast, uh, yeah. um, approaching the middle chamber it's on Amazon. Pick oh, it up. Damn. That came out since our last podcast. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Wow. New book. We've got a lot of good authors. Uh, we, Brian Sears is kind of Absolutely. a new contributor that yep. we've had hop on uh tria prima. Um, like we said, Adams is the newest paper, and that's relevant to a, an astrological alignment that's coming up here pretty soon. Yeah. So check that out, um, especially if you're into the Eastern stuff. Um, but that's it for me. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We'll we'll see yeah. you next time, and we'll we'll try not to be uh, such strangers this time. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.